This is Wayne Jurnell, editor of Theory and Research and Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, yes. how, do you, how do you feel in your classroom mm-hmm. when out of the blue, Good. students oh, wait, just bring up, I, you're, already, you're already there, <laughs> out of the blue, students bring up a controversial issue, a news event, it's not part of your curriculum, you weren't planning on talking about it. How do you feel about it? What do you do? I feel like the first thing that goes in my head is me thinking, that's interesting. And then it's a bunch of math trying to figure out like, okay, how, like, there's just a lot of like competing interests that I have. Like, first of all, like how relevant is it? Like how, how much time can we kind of spend on this? Is this something that we're going to you know, do some research in, or is this something that we're just going to be like, oh, that's interesting. You know, has anyone else heard about this? Have a quick convo and then move on. I feel like there's just a lot of math that's going on in my head, uh, trying to figure out the best way to kind of navigate my, my class because, you know, I have things planned and I can change things. Right. But then it's also that math, like, okay, how do I, how do I change some things? What can I change? Right. Isn't that, and I feel a lot of teachers feel that pressure to this, the official curriculum, right? And, and our planned curriculum, right? We've we put a lot of time getting things ready. There's these requirements of things we're supposed to teach. So we get that ready. And that really sometimes can get in the way of us being responsive to students' interests, right? Which yeah. is an issue in education, but okay. But it's a topic you didn't prepare for too. Like, right. besides yeah, the time, yeah. how do That's you That's also part of the equation too, because it's like, okay, well, how much do I actually know about this? Like, what's my background understanding? Okay, my, this is something that's just happened. We probably need to do some back, like, so I need to know some like backstory into it. How can we best kind of calculate that? Like, there's a lot of stuff and yeah, my uh, understanding or not understanding definitely plays into it because that's how much more time that I think we need to uh, look at it. Um, sometimes we, I, I do table things. And we might come back to it, you know, the, the, the next day. If, again, there's just a lot of different competing things right. going on. Well, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, yeah, you want to, I feel like my inclination as like when I'm sitting here now, not in the actual situation, I would say that first, I hope that I have a way of thinking about talking about current events. So I'm not just being reactive, right? Like I have a proactive kind of approach, which I think is why these frameworks, these approaches, these methods, having those Mm -hmm. in your kind of teacher toolkit is really helpful because when something pops up, you have a way to think about it. But I also think probably a good reaction is like you said, to potentially come back to it, right? And allow yourself time to think about it. Because the one nice thing about classrooms is they're coming back, right? <laughs> the students the students will be back in the classroom the, ne- the next day or, you know, the next school day, if it's, if it's a Friday. And so like, you don't have to rush it is I kind of what I feel like the approach we should take in schools. But sometimes it's also students just want to express their own concerns and anxieties, right? Like they, they see something and they want to talk about it and it's, 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 it's important. And it may be, you know, uh, an, an instance of police brutality, for example, mm-hmm. that, that students are 
emotionally dealing with and moving on in the curriculum could be very difficult for them. They want to process it, which is why we have to be prepared. But I also understand like a teacher wanting to take the night to say, I need to figure out how to do this well. Yeah. So There's, um, it's hard. I'm to think. I think those recent thing, there was the protests going on in Iran. And so that took up some, some like space out of, because I had heard, you know, I listened to it uh, on the way to school on, on NPR. And, and so that kind of just popped up in class and I was like trying to figure out, okay, well, we ended up talking about it just a little bit. And then every so often we kind of check in, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a full, you know, look into the, into the situation. Although someone's writing a research paper now that's tangentially related. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the challenge, right? Like, and, and you may, like you had to do your homework a bit and I, I would have had to, too, right. To better understand the situation and, 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 you know, have some sources and resources that we can, we can trust to help get a good start. So I just think this is a, a topic, right? Uh, you know, unplanned controversial issues happening in the classroom is something that all teachers should learn to be prepared for. And it's never going to be easy. Prepare it's for the unplanned. Prepare for the unplanned. So we probably should, you know, bring in somebody who's been thinking about this a lot, because I think that's one of the things we identified is like a thoughtfulness about how you do it. You did it again. You brought you someone. We got a guest. And so we are so excited. Halfway around the world, joining us, Charlo Kassar. Welcome to the podcast. You done. Thank you for having me. We are thrilled to have you here, Charlo. Do you mind telling us about where where you are? And well, tell us about who you are. I guess that's probably the more pertinent. Okay, let, let, let's start. Let's start from where I am. I'm across the pond in Malta. That's a very small island just underneath Italy in the Mediterranean. People don't necessarily realize how small this place is. And of course, everything is relative. When we talk of small, it's like a 45-minute drive takes you from one end of the country to the other. And that's about how small this place is. It's like the Rhode um, Island of countries. It's small. Rhode Islands are very small. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm a school director here in Malta. I'm in charge of a primary school and elementary school. But by profession, I'm an art teacher. So I started off as an art teacher and then went into school management. And in the meantime, I was also involved with the Council of Europe working on working with the Pestalozzi program, dealing with some very hot issues, transversal issues, really. So nothing that is really taught in schools, but everything that is or should be extremely important and should be the focus of what we're doing in schools. So we were dealing with issues related to democracy, social justice, social media, responsible use of social media, the prevention of crimes against humanity, these big topics, which are everyone's responsibility, but no one's responsibility kind of thing. And this led me to start questioning things. And particularly, I was really interested in, in why is it that in some schools, that in, in schools, students tend to flock to some teachers and not to others and why is it that students feel free to talk to teachers, to some teachers, about all sorts of issues, but not to others? And then this line of thought brought me to think, okay, so we tend to plan and sometimes over plan in terms of our lesson plans, our curricular syllabi, but things happen. Things just happen in schools. Things just happen in the classroom. And very often, Looking also at my own experience as a teacher, 
students come up with all sorts of things. And I was really interested in, in these unplanned, unscripted, unscripted episodes in the classroom. What are these unscripted episodes about to start with? And this was what eventually led to this research that we're talking about today, these unplanned controversial issues. So I went to teachers and actually asked, what sort of unplanned issues, unplanned controversial issues do you encounter in your classroom? And you hinted at the beginning of this podcast at, you know, when you're faced with such an issue in class and all sort of, all, all, all the things that are going on in your mind when you're faced all of a sudden with such an issue. And, and, and this is just probably the tip of the iceberg because the complexity of what actually goes on in, in splits of seconds, really, because the classroom can, can go from zero to hundred in, in, in literally a couple of seconds with um, students' remark or, 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 or something happening and, and the, the whole classroom erupts in turmoil. So this research actually started with asking teachers who have a reputation for being those kind of teachers who deal with these issues, who are not afraid to talk about all these hot topics and themes in schools, in, in society rather than in schools. And already there, the, the research started indicating that there's something particularly interesting came out of that first part of the research, which was the kind of unplanned controversial issues that teachers identify are not necessarily the kind of controversial issues that we encounter in the literature. Um, yes, those kinds of controversial issues are there, so you have the, the polarization in the classroom with some students thinking yes, some thinking, thinking no, some students agreeing, some students disagreeing. But then what was also very interesting was the fact that teachers identified instances of prejudice, discrimination and stereotyping as controversial in the classroom. And that kind of indicated that something was going on here. And that was either teachers are not really understanding the meaning of the term controversial issues, or they understood the meaning of the term controversial issues as a sort of polarization, a hot topic, something that with which they are not agreeing. So there is this disagreement, but this disagreement, rather than being between factions of students, is now between the teacher and the student or the teacher and the group of students. I call these, we call these teacher-initiated controversies when the teacher was actually taking a stand against something that was said by a student. And what was perhaps a little bit more interesting was the third kind of controversy that teachers identified, which we termed controversial pedagogy in our research. And that was all about actions that the teachers took in the classroom, which the teachers themselves identified as controversial. Again, they don't equate to controversies in the literature, but they are more related to tensions that the teachers experience in the classroom. And just to give you a practical example of this, the teacher giving a, one teacher giving a writing task, a group of students writing something from a far-right point of view. Teacher talks about the writing but doesn't condemn the far-right position. As another student being offended because the teacher did not react to the far-right stance that some students took. Instances like these were also identified by the teachers as being controversial. But then the next question was, 
what makes you decide? Why do you decide to tackle these issues, to address these issues? Because just as you said, Michael, there are all sorts of things going on in that particular moment. There's the syllabus, there's probably the school director hovering somewhere around, making sure that the teachers are actually covering the syllabus. There's the school district, there's there's the parents, all the stakeholders within the context that you're working in. Um, are you prepared to tackle that issue? What about your own emotional state when when that issue comes up? What about um, your knowledge of the topic, your knowledge of the of, of the area? And there are all these sorts of considerations that a teacher has to take into account in, 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 in that particular instance in the classroom. So what we were really interested in is teachers who address issues, even though they are unplanned, and why do they do it? And, and, and that led to this kind of pedagogical model, which shows us or, 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 or gives us a framework to begin to unravel the complexity in the moment a teacher decides to address an issue. And we make a difference between teaching and addressing, because when you're teaching a controversial topic or a controversial issue, to be precise, you actually have the luxury of time. You can sit at home, you can do your research, you can plan, you can plan for different scenarios, you have thought about it, but when an issue comes up, and it could be something that you think or you suspect is going to come up. So if there's a terrorist attack, for example, it's very likely that the students will the following day come to school and want to talk about that sort of thing. And you may even plan for that. But then you can never really plan for all sorts of scenarios. You can never really plan to take into account all the different points of views that the students are going to bring into the classroom. And this, this just adds to the complexity of it. So this is what we wanted to look at. Why do teachers address these issues head on without fear of retribution, without fear of repercussions from the stakeholders? And what the pedagogical model indicates is that at the heart of this instance is the urgency of what is going on. Something has happened and the teacher cannot not react. Because in not reacting, the teacher is also making a statement about what is valid or not valid in, in, in terms of education. So to start with, you have this urgency and the teacher decides, okay, I'm going to address this. And, and, and the teachers gave some, some quite a few particular reasons for them to do this. Starting with, as I said, the, the immediacy of it. This is happening now. I have to talk about it now. It's not something that I can pick up in a month's time when I have more time, perhaps. Students are interested in this now. There is also the idea of the pedagogical potential of the moment. So this is happening now. This is a teachable moment. I can actually do something with this as a teacher. And also, if I don't tackle this because of everything that is going on, I'm not going to be able to carry on with my planned lesson. So there's an almost, I'm thinking of the word selfish, but selfishly speaking, I need to tackle this to be able to move on. Yeah. And then there is also linked to this temporal framework. There is the past and there is the future. Teacher is coming from somewhere. 
teacher might have had some experience which motivates him or her to actually address what is going on in that particular moment. But there's also this projection into the future. So the teacher is also projecting him or herself into the future along with the students. I am addressing this because I want my students in the future to be this kind of person. Mm -hmm. And because I experienced this when I was young myself, or and, and again, I can I can relate this with 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 an example. I had one teacher in, in one participant in this research telling the story about how when he was a kid, he was the teacher's pet. He was that student, he was always the, the best one in class, and the teacher would use him as the good example which other students had to emulate. And this in itself, one might think, what's wrong with this? But the teacher said, I actually hated this because I was continuously in the spotlight. And when something happens in the classroom, I address it because I don't want to be like that teacher who did this in the past. And I want to be the total opposite of what the teacher was when I was a student. But the, the episodes that the, the participants brought to the, to the interviews that we held with them weren't only related to their school experiences. There were all sorts of experiences coming up which were related to the particular incident and then this projection into the future. So that in, in, in that particular moment, the, the, the teachers were using the unscripted moments so that their pedagogical decision-making intersected with their sense of social purpose. I am doing this because... I want my students to be better citizens in the future. So I think what you've set up, and I, I appreciate how this is obviously came as a natural teaching problem that you were thinking about, right? And then you jumped into the research. And I want to go, so the research you've been talking about is um, published in Theory and Research and Social Education. So by the way, congratulations on, on in, publishing on this important topic. And the article is titled, Why Teachers Address Unplanned Controversial Issues in the Classroom. And it is an open access article. And so we have that linked in the show notes and you can access it. But you're definitely speaking directly to a lot of the things Michael and I were talking about. But one thing that really stood out to me that's a challenge is it's not just that teachers have to make a choice about teaching about these unplanned controversial issues. It's that sometimes there can be comments or things that come up in the classroom where if they do not speak on it, students actually can become frustrated, feel marginalized, feel ignored, because the issue could be threatening an aspect of their identity or something that they think is really important, an, an aspect of justice or an aspect of um, you know, an issue like racial justice or something like that. And so the students, even when an issue comes up, the teacher often has a responsibility to figure out how to respond because there are times when you have to do something. And, and one example, when I was teaching, I always remember the student, we were talking about the border, we were talking about immigration, we were talking about numerous issues, and the student made a comment about putting landmines like near the border. And I really, I like right away oh, was like, yes, I, I like, you know, because as a teacher, you think your whole job is to facilitate it. But at that moment, I actually kind of had to, I feel like, take a really strong stand to point out why that was like a human rights abuse and why I didn't think that that was a reasonable, you know, option that any human could take. 
And I think the students got it that like, I, there's like a line sometimes where you're like, you, you're, this is off limits, right? And that's a big part of controversial issues. Research is some things are off limits. It's a settled issue that we don't put landmines to address immigration. And ironically, this, the student, like, I don't know if it's ironic, maybe they thought about it, but they emailed me probably about six months ago and just said, Hey, I was kind of an idiot in high school and you were always really you know, like put up with me and and thanks a lot. And uh, I had, I'd remembered that story the whole time. And I just said, no, you're great. I, I And he and the kid was complex and great, but was also immature and said that. And so anyway, it's that challenge in teaching of dealing with the immediate moment. But like you said, those future directions, and I'm interacting with this student a lot later. So can you tell us a little bit more about how the, how the study came together? Who was included in the study? And how did you analyze data? Because this this paper, also, I'd, I'd recommend people to look at it. I really love how you took the participants' experiences and made them into little images with like graphs about like what, sh- like pictures about what they cared about. That's like, it's a really helpful way to think about it. So can you explain a little bit more about the nature of the study? Sure, absolutely. I want to pick on a point that you've just mentioned, this taking a stand. And, and while the focus of this paper was not on how the teachers actually reacted, but why? In, in When it was typical controversy, the teachers did allow for debate to happen in the classroom, discussions, different points of views. But when it was an instance of stereotyping or, or discrimination or prejudice, then the teachers took a stand. And this is directly related to the notion of neutrality in the classroom and to what extent a teacher can or cannot be neutral. And I've included in one of the books I actually recommend people look at is You Can't Be Neutral on a Moving Train by Howard Zinn, the the classic. Because as a teacher, we have a political responsibility in the classroom and everything we do has political implications. Whether we address a topic or not is saying something about the importance, the power relations in terms of the topic. Also, if you want to go all the way back to episode eight, Michael, if you remember all the way back to episode eight, Wayne Jernell came on oh and talked goodness. about teacher political disclosure, which is another good episode. We'll get that in the show notes. So going back to the study, we selected participants. We interviewed teachers who have this reputation for engaging with, with the difficult topics. And we we conducted semi-structured interviews with them. And then in analyzing the data, the first thing that we did was we looked at distinct units within the justifications that the teachers provided. We worked with the data in that manner, coding the data that way. But then we realized that what was happening was that we were losing the complexity of the justifications. So because I come from an arts background, it was kind of intuitive for me to go with this idea of, you mentioned diagrams, we created visual maps for each of our participants and for each example of uh, unplanned controversial issues that the participants gave us and the justifications. And we started creating these, these visual diagrams, a kind of mind maps of these justifications. And as the analysis of the data progressed, these very distinct categories started coming up. So there's this temporal dimension, which I already hinted at, which goes from the, which starts from the immediacy going into a past and into a projected future. But then there were four other distinct categories emerging from the data. And I'll, I'll, I'll go with beliefs. And there were personal beliefs, 
and professional beliefs. And we made the distinction between these two because very often when the teachers were speaking about why they addressed the issues, they were very emphatic in, in, in saying, because as a person, as a human being, I have an obligation to address these issues, particularly when it came to issues relating to prejudice, stereotyping, discrimination, so impinging on human rights, identity. There was this very, very strong personal involvement over and above the fact that these same teachers, these people were also teachers. So this idea that we're human beings, and as human beings, we need to respect basic human rights. The professional beliefs came into that because the next argument was then, as schools, the least we can do is address these kinds of issues, give space to the students to talk about these issues, take a stand when it comes to certain other issues. And this distinction, even though it's only analytic, but it's it's also it was also quite strong in the data. What I'm doing as a person, what I should do as a person, giving the idea that this is something that everyone should do and not just teachers. So we should all stand up in the face when faced with injustices, for example, but then linking it to these high conceptual, so to say, ideals of what education should be about. There was linked to that the teacher's task perception coming directly from Kelsterman's work. And with task perception, what we mean is what the teacher is expected to do as a teacher. And again, the teachers that identified the subject fit, what the students started talking about fits perfectly with my subject. So it was extremely important for me to show the students the link between what they were saying and the subject. But then there was also this idea that as a teacher, it's not just the syllabus, but I'm expected to go beyond what the syllabus prescribes. So again, linked to this to, to the teacher's professional beliefs. And possibly the most important thing that came out is the idea of nurturing a safe space for students in the classroom. So by allowing, by providing the space and the time for the students to talk about this, they were also reinforcing the idea that the classroom is a safe space with structure when the students can talk, where the students can discuss anything they want within the safety of the classroom linked to students' well-being. And in turn, this links to the fourth component in the model, which is emotions. And when we talk about emotions, we're talking about both teachers and the students' emotions on various levels. So the teachers were shocked, surprised, angry when they heard certain things, but then so were the students. Some of the students were angry, some were, were anxious, perplexed, totally lost, added to this was also how teachers felt about the way that they actually dealt with these situations. And I've had we had various teachers commenting about how they would have not been happy with themselves as teachers, as persons, had they allowed this issue to just go with the flow in the classroom, had they just avoided this issue altogether. So it's a very, very, very complex kind of minefield. So what I'm seeing, and can I explain this back to you and see if I get it correct? 
Okay, so the model you came up with is just very helpful and shows how complex these decisions are about what we, you know, the way teachers think about this. So your model is looking at, uh, is trying to understand teachers' justifications for addressing unplanned controversial issues in the classroom. And so in your article, you have this figure, figure one, if you're if you're going to the paper, that shows kind of a, a, a time continuation. You have the past experiences, then you have the unplanned controversy and the immediacy of that happening, and then you have it into the future, right? So we're, we're, we have our knowledge, we bring into it, and then we're trying to move it into the future. But then around the context of the situation, you have your personal beliefs, your emotions, your professional beliefs, and the task perception. And so teachers are having to wrestle with all of those things at the same time, which is maybe why Michael and I were struggling at the beginning of this episode to figure out exactly what we're supposed to do in these cases. Am, am I am I kind of getting the, uh, the model correct? Absolutely. You're spot on. So I feel, Cheryl, that you've kind of given me a mirror because a lot of this stuff is what, again, we were talking about earlier. So that was helpful. But so now that I've identified or now that you've kind of identified your model, like the different the, the different things going on, how can I use that information to suss out what I should do in the classroom when the next unplanned thing happens, which is probably tomorrow? What we wanted to do this with this model more than anything else was deconstruct the complexity that in the instant a teacher decides to address a controversial issue. And we wanted to bring to light the implications that are inherent in that particular moment. You might, one might think it's just a decision that you're making, you know, a student made a statement and I'm just reacting to that statement. It's not as, sim- it's not as simple as that. It's not a simple, straightforward reaction, but you're bringing all these issues into addressing that unplanned issue in the classroom. And what we hope to do with this model is to actually start the discussion, provide the vocabulary that teachers sometimes lack to actually talk about the what, the how, the why we address unplanned controversial issues, and also show how important it is to give space and to allow time for these issues, because probably they are more real than anything else that we do in the classroom because they are coming directly from the students. And already in the interviews and and plenty of other researchers have referred to these unscripted moments as being full of potential affordances, teachable moments. And and we need to recognize these instances for what they are and capitalize on, on on the pedagogical potential of these episodes. But at the same time, we need to know why it's not that we're doing this blindly. We're doing this for a purpose. And what that purpose is, is very much related to who I am as a person in teaching. And this is the message that we want to put across with this paper. Are you telling me that my discussion of the French Revolution can wait and that we can address this and it's going to be okay sometimes? Yes, I think so. Thank you. You just you just got to wrestle with your task perception, Michael, about what you think you're supposed to do, like morally within the situation. I'm learning so much today. And no, I think what frameworks for like this really do is they they help me as a teacher reflect, right? Because what you've done, again, you've brought uh, these different components of my decision making. And now I can potentially realize, you know, it's it's really the thing I have to wrestle with is the is is my 
conflict between personal and professional beliefs, for example, right? And so but by naming these different components of the decision-making, I think it, it, it can really support us. So Charlo, thank you to you and your team for doing this research. It's really educational and is a great addition to, to figuring out how we discuss these difficult topics in the classroom, which are really some of them, as you said, the, some of the most important things we can do as teachers. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Now, where can our listeners find you or more of your work online? Sure. Oh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter, even though I'm not particularly very active on social media. But our work, our two studies and this PhD trajectory has been published open access. And it's, the links are going to be in the show notes. And we're also looking at using this model and, and continuing our research in terms of how useful is this model for reflection. I love once you have the model, then you can then you can test out and see if it's helpful or how it affects things. But also, if you publish more in the future, please, we will continue updating these show notes. You can send them as future articles or future research so people can find that, too. Thank you. I will. So thank you again for joining us today. We certainly will continue the discussion on all of our defunct Twitter accounts. I guess we won't, but we will find spaces to talk. And of course, our show notes are the place on the Internet where you can find so much of this. So thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Michael. Now, at the Visions of Education podcast, we're all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun or creative in education, or you have an unaddressed thing you want to address with us, we are sometimes on the Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook sometimes. And of course, you can also subscribe to us on all of your devices through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and literally anywhere you'd want us to be. And we would love for you to write us a five-star review. If you do so, we will read it on the air at some point. Michael, seems like we're behind. We got to read some on the some of our recent ones on the air. And if you don't, we're going to do a research study with different components to figure out people's decision-making about writing <laughs> us a five-star review. We'd also like to thank Zach Seitz of Wiley High School and the University of North Texas for his editing skills. For some reason, mainly MBA Twitter, I'm still on Twitter. I don't do near as much, but you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm sometimes around. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.